You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Circle shoots, tip the score, Brock Besser. Maybe the last three, four games, the bench would have been a little different, a little bit of frustration, slamming sticks and stuff like that. I didn't see that today. You got too far. There's too much to lose. You got to keep our composure. And look at Olivier send Rempy down. Wow. Stop pummeling me. It's really painful. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. It is Halford. It is Bradford. It's Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning and welcome back, buddy. Thank you. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning and welcome back as well. Oh, thank you, Adog. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Yeah, good. That's don't, all I got for you. <laughs> Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer. Today we are in Hour 1 of the program. Hour 1 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Kintech, that's what. Hey, have you got a sore foot? Uh, I do, as a matter of fact. I got surgery on my on my leg. I, got, I had torn Achilles, so uh, that was why I was out last week. Thank you to well, virtually nobody that reached out. That was nice. Um, no, I'm just you guys, Ruff had been downplaying well, it as you, a lower body injury. The you didn't body. tell anybody too. Like I know, I kept you gotta the, you yeah. gotta like really elicit that sympathy, man. No, I don't want to. Just go. No. I mean, it's 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 a big thing. I'm not big into tragedy porn. I like keeping things to myself. You were in a lot of pain though. Uh, yeah, it was, it was painful, but it's okay. I'm better now. And I'm excited to be back because as far as I understand it, the Canucks are fine. Like nothing went bad. <laughs> Pity's <laughs> underrated, man. All I'm saying is you got to milk the pity. Nothing yeah. went bad. Everything yeah. is good. Last time I worked, they were I've winning. I've been in a game. fog of painkillers for the last week. What? what? Did they win? Did they lose? Who's they say? They've, won I, the, they've won the last five straight. When you? I stopped working, they were winning <laughs> hockey games. And now that I'm working again, they were winning more hockey games. So, so you're not allowed to take any more time off. I'm excited to saying. get back. I think I should. No. I'm excited to get back. I'm excited to get back in the saddle. Let's put it that way. Uh, our guest list today begins... At 6.30, David Amber, Sportsnet, Hockey Night Canada NHL host is going to join us. Uh, we will talk about the Vancouver Canucks. I actually tried to put together a list of the biggest wins of the season for the Vancouver Canucks. Because mm-hmm. there's been a lot of them, a lot to choose from. We've been playing the Detroit fan blogger off the hook this year. And I was, because one of the questions I want to ask David is, you know, watching from afar, where does that rank in terms of the biggest, most important victories of the Canucks this year? And that one against Boston on Saturday. What a game. Fantastic game. Uh, is right up there, so we'll talk to David Amber about that at 6.30. 7.30, our man Thunder Dan Rosen from NHL.com is going to join us. Uh, we'll do some more Eastern stuff, Eastern promises with Dan. We'll look at uh, this story out of New York with the Rangers and Matt Rempe, where it went from being in the span of one weekend, like, oh, this is awesome, he's the best gladiator ever, to, is this safe? That's kind of how the conversation went yeah. in the span of 48 hours. I so. had a few texts in, uh, from my buddies and most of them are pretty old school in their mm-hmm. hockey. Like yeah. they, they're like, "Yeah, I'm okay with fighting." And then even those guys were like, 
Uh, do they still have concussion spotters in the NHL? It's a lot to take in, right? When you fight every single guy that wants to fight you. So we'll talk to Dan Rosen about that. We'll talk about the Penguins going into the trade deadline. Uh, what's going on with the New Jersey Devils? That seems like they're in disarray. We'll do some Canucks talk with him as well. Eight o'clock, Randy Janda is going to join us. He is the Canucks color commentator for Sportsnet 650 alongside Brendan Batchelor. We'll go back to Saturday's win in overtime over the Bruins to snap the Canucks four-game losing streak. Uh, we're also giving away a pair of tickets today to see the Canucks and the Kings on Thursday, February 29th at Rogers Arena. If you would like to win those tickets, if you'd like the chance, the opportunity to win those tickets, uh, send in what we learned. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Uh, make it a good what we learned. Tell us what did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports. Hashtag it WWL and put a ticket emoji into your text to be entered into the grand prize contest. Note the word contest for a pair of tickets to see the Canucks and Kings Thursday. Is that the first time they play the Kings this year? God, it must be, right? I think it is. Think yeah, isn't it, is. it right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They've, got, they've got four left against the What's Kings. The schedule, man? they got a bunch of games left against the Golden Knights as well because they've yeah, only I mean, faced them once or twice. They've got a very tough schedule to finish overall. The only easy part of it is it becomes very home heavy. Right. That na- the nine-game stretch and, is and, coming up a little and bit. And I don't think they have to go back to the Eastern time zone. So working in reverse on the guest list, 8 o'clock, it's Randeep Janda. 7.30, it's Dan Rosen. 6.30, it's David Amber. That's what's happening. On the program today, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? What happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Brock Besser. Scored his second goal of the game in overtime on the power play. And the Vancouver Canucks snapped their four-game losing streak and rallied from a two-goal third-period deficit to beat the Bruins 3-2 at Rogers Arena on Saturday afternoon. Here's what it sounded like, courtesy of our man, Brendan Batchelor. Elias Pedersen to the Boston line on left wing. Drops to JT Miller. Tried to rink wide pass. Bounced off coil, but comes to Besser right wing. He rims it around the zone to Miller on the left wing wall. Now back to Hughes with room. Top of the point to Miller. Left circle, shoots, tip, they score! Brock Besser! The losing streak is over! The Canucks come all the way back against the top team in the East. Three unanswered goals, two of them off the stick of Brock Besser. And Vancouver wins it 3-2 tonight at Rogers Arena. Awesome so, game. Awesome game. Yeah. Awesome game. So awesome I, game. I, I actually showed up and went to the game. I was on press row and I you were, was You were working media. Yeah, I was. Although I didn't go into the room or interview anyone after I left and I was so excited and I tried to get out of there so quickly that I forgot my glasses on press row. Oh, so um, if anyone's seen those, please I grab them. I can't let them know I forgot my glasses. <laughs> yeah. Not me, the man who wrote the Paris piece of cords. <laughs> Bruff wrote those? <laughs> Jason Bruff? Uh, I, I, it looked for two-thirds of the game like the Bruins were just going to choke the life out of the Canucks. Um, I don't think anyone was watching the game and going, oh, the Canucks are playing terribly again. This is another another performance like the one in Seattle. The effort was there. Um, they definitely brought the physicality early with some big hits by Juleson, 
Zadorov and, and Miller, who was going after Brad Marchand, which everyone liked to see. And they were pre- playing pretty well defensively, despite falling behind 2 nothing. Uh, that being said, they really weren't creating enough offensively, and they weren't making it hard enough on Swayman, who looked totally dialed in. So this was the situation heading into the third period. Canucks were one period away from their fifth straight loss. One period away from being shut out by the Bruins for the second time this month. Yeah, it would have been an improvement on their performance in the Seattle game, but I'm not sure that everyone would have been satisfied with that. I'm not sure everyone would have been satisfied with a moral victory. And fortunately, we didn't have to go down that road because the Canucks played maybe their best and most important period of the season in that third period. They totally took the game over, outscoring a perhaps tired Bruins team, or sorry, out shooting a perhaps tired Bruins team, 17 to 5, and most importantly, outscoring them 2 to nothing. Brock Besser put the Canucks on the board at 12.49, so they, they waited a while into that third period after JT Miller won a drawback to Nikita Zadorov. Now, apparently this was a set play where Besser was supposed to back up into a soft spot kind of outside the slot, Mm -hmm. and Zadorov fed it to him, and Besser finished it, and it all started with Miller winning the draw cleanly. And instead of just flinging it on net from the point, the Canucks created a passing lane and took advantage of it. Zadorov was real good on Saturday. He was. Real good. Yeah, we can talk about him later. Um, Of course, the Canucks still needed another goal to tie the game, and they got it late with the goalie pulled. Once again, they had to create a good shooting opportunity. And once again, Miller played a big role, patiently waiting to feed Hronik at the point for a quick shot. After Hronik had skated backwards, and this was key, created that shooting lane for himself while Besser screened Swayman in front of the net. Uh, up to that point, Hronik had not had a particularly good game. And frankly, I think for the last few games, his game has been trending in uh, – a wrong direction, and I know he took a lot of criticism when um, Rick Tockett put him out on the point in the power play and um, during the Seattle game, I guess. Mm-hmm. He just like didn't look like a fit, and people were starting to criticize Ronick a little bit. And he had also, earlier in the game, got caught a little flat-footed on the Bruins' opening goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had also missed the net with a good scoring chance in the third, wherein you're just kind of like, man, you got to at least hit the net if you get a chance. So he might have needed that goal just as much as the Canucks had. Um, and it was great to see Besser on the screen. It was great to see that puck go in. That was an awesome moment at Rogers Arena. Uh, Now, the Canucks hadn't won the game yet. They needed overtime to do that and were granted a prime opportunity to do it when the Bruins got caught with too many men on the ice. Mm -hmm. Out-trotted Pedersen, who'd made the pass up the ice that caught the bees with too many men, along with Miller, Hughes, and Besser, and it did not take them long for them to bury the Bruins. We already played the audio. Uh, For the third time in the game, it was Miller who made a key play on the goal. Setting up on the left half wall, has anyone uh, advocated for Miller to be back on the left half wall? Did you do that lots last week? I believe Jamie Dodd did, and, and Ruff shot him down. Jamie Dodd. I love that guy. <laughs> love that guy. Everyone's been advocating for Miller to go on the left half wall. Now, it was a four-on-three, so a little bit different. But still, um, Miller took a pass from Hughes, then fed a hard pass to an unchecked Besser in front of the net. 
who redirected at home and Rogers Arena went crazy and I left my glasses there. Um, you dropped them in the toilet, didn't you? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I want to play a little bit of um, Rick Tockett after the game talking about the bench's composure. And hopefully we'll get the part where he singles out Miller in particular mm-hmm. for keeping the guys focused on the process and not freaking out too much, not getting distracted by any bad calls by the referees. Um, it was it would this was a very meaningful comment, I think, from Rick Tockett. And granted it was only one game, but you know, we've been talking about learning lessons all season, and I think the Canucks might have had another positive learning lesson uh, Saturday against the Boston Bruins. Well, the, what I like about it is it's 2 nothing. Maybe the last three, four games, we would, the bench would have been a little different, antsy, a little bit of frustration. Uh, I didn't, you know, slamming sticks and stuff. I didn't see that tonight. You know, it, there wasn't frustration tonight, even though we were down 2 nothing. Maybe that's now we're trying to graduate, you know, to that not that frustration, you know, um, you know, don't get mad at the refs. Those are the little things that you can't do in playoff time, right? And so we you know we got to start to figure that out now. And I thought tonight was a really good game for us to to not get all those little things, you know, that frustration, all that stuff. So I thought that was big for us tonight. I, I'm telling you, the bench was great. I actually thought that was the biggest takeaway of the game was not even the overtime winner, which I think is obviously going to get a lot of play on the TV and everyone's going to talk about that part of it. But the way that they went about uh, the comeback in the third period, very businesslike, very determined, no panic whatsoever. And they had enough reasons to sort of panic. And I want to make this like abundantly clear. I'm not talking about panic like we played the old school clip, like losing their composure and freaking out. But you've seen teams when they push – and when they press to get on the board is a lot of their structure starts to go away or you start gambling where you're not supposed to gamble. You start make, taking chances where you don't. Or you try and do individual plays. A lot of that happens. Ta- yeah, Tockett had the 85-15 rules. Like 85% of the time we know what we should be doing and we have like rules about what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Then there's the 15% leeway where you can try something. And it's up to the players to figure that out. That ratio can get skewed when you're down 2 nothing. And there's 12 minutes gone in the third period, which is when Besser scored, right? And it just, they, they very systematically went about like, okay, we're going to go out and do what we do and create a chance. And if it doesn't work, guess what's going to happen? Another line's going to come over the board. Another D pair is going to come over the board. We're going to create another chance. We're just going to keep going and going and going and going. That to me was probably the biggest takeaway of the whole thing because they had every reason to go out and push and come out of their shoes and maybe panic a little bit and they didn't and it was great and Miller I know you wanted to talk about this maybe embodied that more than anyone else because I don't know if you're aware of this or not but JT Miller can freak out on occasion yeah uh, we didn't get it in that clip but later on in Tockett's availability he singled out Miller for leading the charge on composure on the bench and I think that's a big deal um, Miller's been Miller's passion has been a polarizing uh, a you know, topic in Vancouver. Nobody's ever doubted the guy's passion and want to win, but I think Tockett has clearly talked to him about not letting it become a distraction or negative force during games. Um, As a leader, you can't be freaking out. 
You can't be losing your mind. You can't just be like, oh, my God, what's going on here? Boys, pull it together. You can't panic. If you're a leader on the team and you're panicking, especially some of the young guys are like, oh, this isn't good. We're not going to win this game. We've got to keep our composure. Yeah. We've got too far. There's too much to lose. We've got to keep our composure. Yeah, that was that was Miller pre-talking. Yeah, that was um, him talking to Colin Delia. <laughs> If you're angry, stay focused and take it out on the other team. Um, I mentioned this earlier, but Miller had two hits on Marsha on Saturday, which was nice to see. That was an unbelievable performance from that guy. Um, the Canucks are now 25-2 and two at good? Rogers Arena. Is that a good record? Seems pretty good. 25-2. Is... 20-5. 20 wins. Yeah, just to be clear. 5-2 and two at Rogers Arena. Um and it's probably worth noting that they were able to take advantage of a Bruins team that was playing its third game in four nights. If we're going to talk earlier about how the Canucks schedule had been hard on them and still was, frankly, heading into that Bruins game because they'd only had one day off when they had to practice on that game. It was an optional practice um, after coming back from that Seattle game. Uh, rumor on Press Row had it. Uh, the Bruins had their rookie party planned for the Ooh, night. Ooh, you did do some work on press row. Yeah, I love it. I was a gossip. You weren't just leaving <laughs> your glasses there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what's planned for tonight, guys? Yeah, what's going on tonight? We're going to the uh, sevens? Back to the sevens? Uh, so um, the Bruins coach, uh, Jim Montgomery, was pretty upset. He was like, the two-goal lead bothers me more than the OT, to be honest. It's a game you should close out. I don't like the way we sat back. We had some costly mistakes that were mental awareness breakdowns and maybe fatigue-related. Again, they were playing their third game in four nights, and they'd been to overtime in Edmonton and Calgary. They won yeah. in Edmonton. They lost in Calgary, and then they lost in Vancouver. But they got – I mean, the Bruins got dominated in that third period. Yeah. The shots were 17-5. to five. Like, there's score effects, and there's a push. But, I mean, even beyond the statistics, I thought the eye test. Like, they were just – they were hanging on. Right, yeah. flipping pucks, weren't trying to do anything offensively. They might have been tired, but it's funny. Oh, you got to give the credit, the Canucks credit. Yeah, the back-to-backs thing. This is I was reading this last night. I couldn't believe this. So, the, just to give you an idea of the back, the back-to-back, the myth around how tired you are. The Rangers on Saturday played their tenth back-to-back of the season. Do you know what their record was in the previous nine? What they were nine zero and zero. What they hadn't lost a back-to-back all season. Wow. That was the first one that they had lost. Because they went, whatever, they, they played Philly on Saturday, and then they played Columbus on Sunday. And they actually lost to Columbus to snap their 10-game losing streak. But I do think that... Are the Rangers back-to-back, like... Um, well, they're we'll different. Play, a lot of them are on yeah, the yeah, yeah, right? They're a lot yeah. of them in the East Coast. How many of those like, games were Jonathan it. Quick games? Um, well, that's I a don't good know. point, too. Probably that's a lot. a good point, but too. But, yeah, yeah like he's, and he played last night. He was good, but they mm. kind of got smoked. So did Matt Rempe. So I want to credit a few Canucks um, beyond JT Miller, who, who I mean, might have been the best most important game he's played as a Canuck in terms of, um, you know, he played physical. Um, he was a key player on all three Canucks goals. And according to Rick Tockett, he was one of the leaders in keeping the guys focused. And that's his job. And he was a beast out there. Uh, I thought, speaking of beastly performance, Zadorov had a great game after a rough performance in Seattle. <laughs> he was physical. Yeah. He was skating well. He made the great pass to Besser on the first goal. Full credit to, you know, full credit to him. Uh, I also saw him, and this is this is something you don't get on the TV. Mm. This is something you get from the credentialed media. Working journalist. I saw him go up to McAvoy during the game and say something. 
And I don't think it was like, hey, I heard you guys had your rookie party after. Can I come? <laughs> you know, uh, I don't think it was coincidental that McAvoy had buried, I think it was Lafferty in the neutral zone earlier in the game. Yeah, and right. he'd also, you know, McAvoy's a great player, but he's also a pretty physical guy that plays on the edge. And, you know, it wasn't like a pushing and shoving thing, but I think it was probably Zudorov going up to him and being like, hey, man, what's up? I am bigger than you. Um, I want to, I love Zadorov. I liked him before just kind of watching him because he does things at his size that you don't expect him to do a lot. Like he'll mm-hmm. just go. And I actually, I got, I was working on a theory while I was laid up on IR that I think Tyler Myers has watched him play. And he's like, I'm allowed to do that kind of stuff. Like as yeah. a big guy, I can do those things. And like Zadorov, don't Zadorov's remember. gone up to Tyler Myers, you know, like, you know, you are a big man. <laughs> You got reach. You should try to use size. All right. Okay. I know we're going to do the accent thing. Let's let's tap the brakes on that for a minute because, um, one, I don't want to get canceled so quickly. Two, uh, I do think that for all – like it's huge high risk, high reward with Zadorov when he does it, yeah. right? 100%. And you probably don't want your big, at times, laborious defenseman doing the kind of things that he does. But – when it works, mm-hmm. it's amazing. And he I is think a good skater for his size. He is, and he's got a ton of skill for his size. I think sometimes it's almost it's just the decision making that gets him in yeah. trouble. It's not necessarily that he can't pull it off; is that he takes totally. huge risks. Totally. Yeah. But I feel like every time Myers does it, he just gets a penalty, though. Probably, he probably feels very uh, self conscious about it. Yeah, I feel he'll like get this I'm like too, random I'm too elbow tall to do this. Yeah, he like just hits a guy and gets an elbow I and penalty. Like, what's feel, that my elbow? I genuinely feel like Myers has watched the door off, do some things, and he's like, "Wow, like you know." Maybe I could try it too. Who knows? Yeah. Like like a fun like uh, ex- thought I, exercise. I think right? Adam Foote is the one that's been good for Tyler Myers well, and just uh, and just right. the general system and kind of like having those rules of you know you talked about the eighty five percent fifteen percent with Myers is probably like uh, Tyler ninety nine percent of the things bump, will be we're gonna be, bump that up a rules. little bit. Uh, I thought Elias Lindholm played a really good game as a three C with Garland and Baines on the wing. Baines in there again playing a. You know, a fairly prominent role given his lack of experience in the NHL. And Tockett singled out Lindholm as well post game. Uh, I'm not sure what will happen when Joshua returns. I'm, I'm not sure when Dakota Joshua will return. Tockett said after the game that it's not any, they're not expecting yeah. him back anytime soon. They could reunite the third line, uh, which would be Joshua, Bluger, and Garland, in case you've forgotten that. But Tuesday against Pittsburgh, I think you'll see Lindholm back in that same spot. And I was thinking about this over the weekend. Um, now, I apologize to Teddy Bluger for thinking this, but okay. I think Lindholm and Garland played really well. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess I also apologize to uh, Baines for this, but okay. can you imagine a third line of Lindholm, Joshua, and Garland in the playoffs? Like in the playoffs, that'd be pretty good. That would be a big boy line yeah, yeah. that would have a lot of possession. All due um, respect to Teddy Bluger, who's been great. Yeah, on that and Baines, who I thought you know, yeah. like like Target complimented Baines too. Yeah. he really likes him. Yeah, yeah. We, I don't yeah. think he's going anywhere. Put not, it that way. Not for not for not definitely not until Dakota Joshua is back, and then 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 we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we can talk about Baines later in the show, but we've been talking a lot about where Lindholm fits, and there was always that like outside notion like well maybe he could be the 3c but because you had that third line going so well it's kind of like yeah you're not gonna mess with that no he's got to fit in the top six and preferably if he fits with Pedersen like yeah. that that's that's how it should go now PD was on a line with Mikheyev and Hoaglander and I think 
that line looked pretty good too. Petey's got to stick with Hoaglander. That's what I. Def- that, that's I, the one definitely. thing I kind of came to the realization. I'm like those two yeah. work together. So the wild card in there is McKayev, and Taka was asked after about McKayev, and he was like, "Yeah, I thought he was okay today, but he's got you know he's got to keep doing what he's doing uh, in that game, and uh, less of what he was doing in all the other games, which was pretty much nothing." Uh, Petey did make a couple of dynamic plays, and he set up Zadora for a prime scoring chance in the second. Uh, I'm not going to throw him a parade or anything because he still didn't look completely comfortable with the puck on a stick, especially early in the game. But hopefully, hopefully that was progress. And you know, I think you make a good point. Hopefully, the duo that can really work if we're talking about duos is Petey and Hoaglander, who I thought had his moments as well. Like Zadorov had a good scoring chance in the first two thirds of the game. And Hoaglander had a good scoring chance in the first two thirds of the game. And there really wasn't much outside of that before the Canucks really started to dominate in the third. Like they had shots and they were probably outplaying the Bruins at five on five, but they didn't really make it hard on Swayman until the third period. Uh, David Amber is going to join us and we're going to talk a little bit about what Elliot Friedman had to say on headlines uh, on the over the weekend about Elias Pettersson and Elliot's report that teams are calling on the Vancouver Canucks and going, hey, uh, what's up with that Pettersson guy? Mm-hmm. And the Canucks are apparently saying, we're trying to sign him. Nothing. Trying, Look over there. Bothering us. We're trying to sign we're him. We're trying to sign him. Trying as opposed to uh, we're going to sign him. And I tried to get out of there so quickly that I forgot my glasses on press row. Well, I'll let you know if your glasses turn up. Uh, yes, well, I'm sure I left them on press row. No one must know I dropped them in the toilet. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff. We've spoken a lot about Elliot Friedman's remarks on Saturday during the intermission about Elias Pettersson and teams calling general manager Patrick Alvine and president of Hockey Ops Jim Rutherford asking, hey, what's going on here? What's happening with Petey? The answer from the Canucks has been, we are trying to sign the guy. And they hang up the phone. That last bit I just kind of interpreted. That's how that it went. But um, Friedman... dramatically. They just slam the phone. Even like a rotary no phone one slam. talks on Plunk. a rotary. Yeah, no one talks on a Rutherford rotary. Rutherford and Alvin are just like, but just for fun, let's say we can't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Frege followed up with a little bit more expansive thoughts in the latest 32 Thoughts podcast. We've got the audio right here. Uh, this is about a three, three and a half minute clip, so it's a lot of time. Jason and I are going to take a nap. Here's what Frege had to say, expanding on Saturday's report about teams calling the Canucks on Elias Pettersson. I really do believe what we talked about on Friday's pod, which is that I don't know if there's actually been an, like an actual offer here. And again, I'm not interested in discrediting anyone else. I can't find any proof that there was an actual offer, but I do believe that he knows that they're going to throw a ton of money at him and they've discussed it conceptually. I just think that every day this goes where Pettersson doesn't commit other teams are not doing their jobs if they don't call and say what's going on here like that's that's part of what this is and I do believe that other teams have called and said what's going on here and the Canucks have said look we're trying to sign them but 
I just think, again, I think that's just the best way to put it. The fact that there's no clarity leads to, we should call and find out what's going on here. And that's what I think is happening. The the other thing I think that is important here is like that Vancouver team had a hell of a win the other day, like a really impressive, that was a big win against Boston and JT Miller in particular was fantastic. I think, I, I think that that is a, a team led by Rutherford and Tockett that can handle this. I don't think they're thrilled that a, he's not signed and B, this is news but I think they're both really experienced. Like Jim Rutherford has seen everything and Rick Tockett has seen everything. And I think they are really capable of handling the noise as well as anybody could. You know, I've said this to you before, Rutherford always wanted to be a GM in a Canadian market. And I think he loves this. I, I do. I think he really enjoys it. I think he enjoys the passion I think he enjoys that he's somewhere where it really matters. And I think he can handle this. And I think that will get them through whatever happens here. But teams are calling them and saying, what's going on and where's this going? Now, the other thing that I should mention here is I did hear something else about Vancouver that was interesting. I don't think Vancouver's out of anything out there. Like It's just the way Rutherford is. But I heard they're not interested in giving up everything they're going to have to give up for two rentals. And so I think if they, you know, just because they gave up what they did to get Lindholm, if they have to give up another package to get something good, I don't think it's going to be a rental unless they know they can sign that person. That's the other thing I heard about them. They're If they're going to have to do what it takes to do something not small... It's, some, it's someone that they want to keep. That's the other thing I heard about them. I'm really reading into those uh, dramatic pauses by Frege. The longer the pause, I'm like, oh, what does this mean? Why is he pausing so much? What is he not saying? I think he's he's like choosing his words very carefully. Oh, yes. Like Elias Pettersson does. Yes. Because he knows how uh, touchy this subject is in Vancouver. Uh, lots of texts into the Dunbar Lumber text line. And we've got an open segment on the other side where... We can answer your uh, comments or questions into the Dunbar Lumber text line. There's a lot to discuss based on the latest. If you think that's newsworthy on Pedersen, the teams are starting to call on PD, and the Canucks are saying, look, we're trying to sign the guy. We're trying. Uh, we can talk more about the, um, the Bruins game on Saturday, which was a terrific game um, and an uh, outstanding um, and focused and resilient comeback by the Canucks ultimately winning it on the power play in overtime. It kind of checked all the boxes. Power play, yeah. Bruins, yeah. Mm -hmm. Comeback, great. JT Miller, incredible. Um, so there is a ton to discuss. With us. Plus, we can get into some of the other NHL stories. The, uh, the Edmonton Oilers aren't playing particularly well. Lost six of their um, last ten. Let's talk about the playoff picture in the East because there's actually now quite a sizable gap between the teams that are in the playoffs and the teams that are 
outside the playoffs. You actually have to look at the Metro division. That's the one that everyone's gunning for. The, yeah, the wild yeah. card teams are they're cooking right now. Um, here's a text in unsigned. Really starting to see Pedersen being an offer sheet target this summer. Who has the picks needed to even attempt it? I haven't thought much about PD as an offer sheet target just because I think the Canucks would just match. They'd be like, yeah, probably. Yeah, we'll, we'll match it. And then PD, listen, if PD, if, if, if. If he doesn't want to be here, he's probably not going to sign an offer sheet because then he knows that the Canucks should be like, we're going to match this. Offer sheet does the negotiating for you as an executive. Yeah. That was the great Montreal, Sebastian Ajo, Mm -hmm. Carolina thing is the Carolina said, awesome. Thanks. Thanks. We match this. You saved us a month's worth of work. Now we can go to the beach. That was (laughs) it. Oh, exactly. Right. Yeah. I think what you'd like, you'd more likely to see is Pedersen say like, all right, I'll accept my one-year qualifying offer and then uh, toodaloo. <laughs> you know, and then that, at that point, you're just like, well, we got to trade him. That other texture, is it possible Alvin leaked it to Frege that other teams are calling about PD in order to pressure PD's camp into signing? I don't. Could think... there be some forty chess going on in the background? Here? Well, I don't think it's forty chess. I just think it, look. I think this is all just like what's happening because he isn't signed. Yeah. Yeah, the the idea and the concept of not wanting to talk about it and focusing just on hockey, it's a novel approach. I applaud the you know the the idea behind it, right? I mean, in a very naive Pollyanna esque world, that's great. Like, I love the it, it seems real genuine and, and earnest that all you want to do is just play hockey. But the reality is, it's impossible to do because there's so many different fingers in the pie, and it's not mm-hmm. even just the Canucks. Other teams know that they can mess with the situation simply by picking up the phone, lobbying a call to the Canucks, and then subsequently hanging up the phone. Again, I'm doing the rotary dialing thing. Picking the phone back up and then being like, hey, Fridge, guess what? I just called about Elias <laughs> I mean, that's how the game works. I don't know yeah. what to tell you. That's, I mean, there are executives out there that will do things just to mess with the situation. Mm-hmm. It happens. Now, some people are saying, well, what if another team throws... 14 million per season at PD in an offer sheet. The Canucks wouldn't match that. Maybe not. You take, maybe what, not. what do you get, maybe like not. eight first round picks at that point? Yeah, yeah maybe not. Who, who knows how, how this plays out. But all I'm saying is I don't see it playing out that way because the risk would be there for PD that if he doesn't want to be here, that the Canucks do match that. You're still gambling on... Yes. You know, on that situation, so you lose I don't know, control of the process a little bit. To be honest, you think you're controlling yeah, the process. You think you're controlling it, but you're not. It's easier to just be like, "Yeah, okay, I'll take my qualifying offer, and then I'm a UFA in a year." Do you want to? How do you want to let that play out? Right? There's, the, and this is why you know I pushed back on Dollywall on Friday when um, he said, you know, he kind of reiterated the spin that. PD's under club control. He's he's really not, and we saw that play out in the Kachuk situation. We play that out, uh, played out under, under with Dubois in Winnipeg, um, you know. But the the spin that he's under club control really works for both sides. Like they've almost like both agreed. Okay, this is what we say, right? Mm-hmm. In the meantime, um, because it works for the Canucks to say, "Don't worry, like it's not it it doesn't have to get done." before the trade deadline or anything like he's under club control and it works for the Pedersen camp too, because they don't want people talking about it at all. Um, and I'm always like 
kind of like, mm, if it works for both sides and they're both saying it, then what are they kicking the can down the road to? This call goes to Randy Janda. He joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Randy? What's going on, Mike? Uh, you get no respect, man. This is a dated reference, but you're like the Rodney Dangerfield of the show. They, they give you no respect. What's going on here? I know. It's, I've gotten used to it at this point as I play the world's tiniest violin. You can only see it on the stream right now. But <laughs> it's okay. It's fine. You know, I'm just happy to be back. I wasn't here last week, so I'm excited to be back because uh, I missed all the losses. And then I get to come back for the big win against Boston on Saturday. We did this thought exercise with uh, David Amber earlier. So in terms of importance, not just the comeback, not just snapping the losing streak, but to get the comeback win against a very good Boston team, where does that rank in terms of the most important or the best victories that the Canucks have had this season? Ooh, okay. So that Dallas game earlier on kind of set the tone this year where they played their style of game. There's a, there's a bunch of games that, you know, Toronto is probably on that list yep. as well. But I had Okay, so I here's think, a quick list. We had the 8-1 yeah. win over uh, Edmonton to start the season. That was big. Sure. The yeah. Toronto win that you just alluded to because they lost to Toronto earlier, came back and beat them. The January 8th win over the Rangers at MSG, that was a big one because they got to exact yeah. an earlier loss there as well. So there's a few on the list. I, I Personally, I think Boston is tops, but you know, take the, the microphone, you go. What, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to go with Boston too, just based on two things. The strength of this team and what they did to Vancouver and Boston and the timing of the season, right? This is a team... Um, even a couple of days ago at UBC at the optional practice, uh, the players were saying we have to play desperate hockey. We have to match the desperation of teams. we got to get back on the right track. Uh, we're not doing certain things. The coach was pretty pointed in his comments uh, also after the, the previous game. So I think just given the rut that they were in, the slump that they're in, to not only beat a Boston team that has been picking up points, uh, they played a heck of a game against Edmonton two games ago. Uh, despite losing to Calgary in the last game. This was a team that was coming in, maybe not playing their best hockey, but still grinding out results. And the way that Vancouver was, guys, I, I would lean on just the the fact that for the first time, and Jason, we talked about this last week, where you're you're facing adversity for the first time this season. How do you, rea- how do you react? And it's with a, a desperation and urgency and a strong team game. So I'm leaning that way too, guys. What was your favorite goal that they scored? Because all three had... Um, really positive things. The first one was a was a set play. Um, JT Miller wins a draw cleanly back to Zadorov. Besser backs out, finds yep. the soft spot, and I think that was a set play. Zadorov found him, and he buries it. Um, the second goal I was saying earlier, like Philip Peronik needed that because he was starting to get some criticism um, for his game. And I thought Miller did a good job patiently waiting for Horonic again to skate backwards into a shooting lane. Like, that wasn't stationary. Um, It wasn't a one-timer, but he got the shot away quick, and Besser was there for the screen. And the winning goal, I mean, this might be the obvious pick for your favorite one because it was on the power play, and it had JT Miller on that left half wall. And that looked similar. Granted, it was four on three, so that's always different to some of the power play goals that the Canucks had scored earlier in the season. Yeah, I'm going to go – I love the first goal just based on the fact that the way that J.T. Miller identifies that, to your point, you know, if Brock pops out a little bit, you know, the, the defensemen are, are spaced a certain way at the faceoff and just gives a direction to Zadorov. I love that goal just because it shows you the smarts and the, the ability of J.T. Miller to make that read right before the faceoff. And he essentially tells Zadorov to move closer to the boards to make that play. But – 
when it comes to playoff hockey, the 2-2 goal is the one I, I really like because Peronic, all the things you mentioned, finding that lane, moving. But, you know, that's a play where throughout the 40 minutes of hockey, guys, the Canucks couldn't get to the middle of the ice. They weren't able to break through. They were able to provide screens on Swayman. So this is kind of the old-school hockey guy in me saying, if Brock Besser actually gets to the front of the net, something the Canucks were unable to do. And even though, you know, the other players had, like, more – I think they're, you could probably say they're, they're better goals in terms of the downhill skating on the 3-2 goal and that play by J.T. Miller or, you know, the execution by J.T. Miller and Zadorov on that first goal. I love the second goal because when you're thinking April-May hockey, you need to get to the middle of the ice. You need to be in a position where, you know, whether it's five on five, that you're able to take the goalie's eyes away. So for a team that wasn't able to do that for 40 minutes in this game, and credit to Boston, they were boxing out uh, really, really well, not allowing Canucks players to get to the middle of the ice. The fact that Brock Besser, who's done a pretty good job of this this year, is able to get there, and then Philip Peronik, after the faceoff win by Lindholm, who's been a monster in that regard, like that to me was a goal that you could see scored in the playoffs because you're winning the middle of the ice. Lindholm is the 3C with uh, Connor Garland, and it was Baines on the left side. Um what do you think about the Canucks going Miller, Pedersen, Lindholm down the middle, all on separate lines? Yeah, I like this right now just based on the fact that, you know, what do strong teams have? They've got a strong spine, right? And with the Vancouver Canucks right now, if you work from the back, uh, Thatcher Demko, of course, Philip Hronick and Quinn Hughes having your top pair. And then right now, the way that they're configured, if you look at the top, three centers, and I would throw Teddy Bluger in there as well just because we know what he can bring in a third or fourth line role, but let's just take him out of the equation for one second. Um, If you are comfortable, A, first of all, all three of those guys seem like they want to play down the middle of the ice. They're more comfortable down the middle of the ice. And, you know, whether it was Pedersen popping out to the wing, whether it was Lindholm popping out to the wing, chemistry was just not there. These guys want the puck, and as a center, you see a little bit more of the puck. So I think, you know, just the way that, they played the last game and it had success. Um, I'd like to see more of this because what do you need in the playoffs? You need, you know, three responsible centers down the middle that you can trust a offensively, of course, to get you points, but also defensively. And I thought Elias Lindholm's 200 foot game against Boston was strong. He had an active mm-hmm. stick. He was playing a little physically um, and you lose out some of that when you pop out a player to the wing. So even though that line might be more dynamic, Can you stick to your staples? Can you stick to your principles more when you have guys like that playing down the middle? So I don't know how long it's going to last, but to me, that's kind of like a playoff lineup where you're saying, hey, we're not going to, you know, there might be a limit to your ceiling offensively to a certain extent, but defensively you're going to be solid. Uh, That's what I saw against Boston guys, even though they gave up those two goals. uh, To me, those were kind of, you know, against the the run of play essentially, uh, you know, where, Vancouver, for the most part, played a a strong 200-foot game. And, yeah, there's a couple of chances that they gave up, but Thatcher Demko did his job. I like that lineup, Jason. I I think that's a spot where that's the playoff lineup to me where as long as you have trusted wingers that you can say, hey, we can trust these guys to play a 200-foot game as well, I I think you can run with that. I said earlier in the show that I really like the idea of Lindholm between Garland and Dakota Joshua when, whenever mm-hmm. he's back. Like I think that could be a beast of a line in the playoffs. Um, it does beg a few questions. Who ends up with Pedersen? But also, where does Baines go once Joshua is back? Could you, in theory, what do you think about this? Go with Pedersen, with Hoaglander, 
and Baines. You could. And the reason I say that is like, at the very least I'd like to see it because one of the areas that Baines is really good on is on the four check. Right. And he's able to, to play make as well. And he's still figuring out his NHL game, but the comments that Rick Tockett made yesterday uh, kind of got me thinking a different way. And he, you know, if you missed those, he said, I'm a big fan. I like him a lot. And there's another level to his game in the NHL. Um, he's earned his spot right now. I don't know how long it's going to be, but you know, that's, that kind of opens the door to be when you're a young player, what do you have to show to a coach? You have to show that you can be trusted in situations. And what I like about our Steve's game guys is, you know, he's not getting the production necessarily. We're not seeing that, but the other elements of the game, you know, good back pressure on a lot of those plays, especially even before he got his penalty in the offensive zone, uh, good four check in the game. He's got an active stick in the neutral zone. Is the production there? It is at the AHL level. Uh, once you start playing with Elias Pettersson, you'll get pro- he's going to make you better, but there's an expectation you produce. I could see something like that maybe later on, uh, to your point. Uh, I still think he needs to build out his NHL game a little bit, get that confidence in there. Mm-hmm. But is he the type of player you'd like on that line? I think so, because he's got some playmaking. I just think maybe, just maybe, um, it might be a little early for that he's, as he's trying to build that confidence in his game. But one thing that Rick Talk had said, guys, uh, yesterday was that guys want him on his their line. They, they legitimately go up to the coach and say, hey, don't be afraid to put him on my line. And talking to some of the, the players in the room yesterday, uh, they like the way he plays. So I think the ceiling might have been quite low early on for him just to say, hey, get a couple of games and then you maybe go down to Abbotsford. Uh, but he does have a, a complete game in the sense that he's a, a smart player on the ice. And smart players, uh, players want to play with smart players that make the right play. What did you think uh, or how noteworthy was it that talk at number one um, praised the composure of his bench uh, in the third period in all game of, of the Bruins game? And they were able to keep their heads. They didn't freak out. They didn't lose it on the refs. And they were able to just stick to their game and come back and win the game against a pretty good defensive team, arguably tired, but still a good defensive team. But also that JT Miller was kind of the one leading the charge on composed um, play and and a a composed demeanor on the bench. Because I don't know if you've heard this, but uh, JT Miller has sometimes been accused of losing his head in those situations. Yeah, and yeah, never heard that before. I've never witnessed that. But that's something that, uh, you know, looking at that game, he was a beast right out of the gate. Two big hits, uh, physical play, eight total hits. And he played on that line where it was, to your point, Rick Tockett mentioning that, hey, keeping the guys going, making sure that they're resilient, but also playing with snarl and skill. Like, that is something that's really important this time of the year as you're playing on that line. And JT Miller really set the tone, right, where – he starts on his first shift, very similar to that Minnesota game. And I know we don't want to look back at that game because the final 20 was an absolute gong show. But if you go back to the first shift in that game, it was Erickson Eck versus JT Miller on the first shift. And two big hits right off the bat by JT Miller set the tone in that game. He had a great game. Uh, unfortunately, it goes awry later on. But that's what JT, you can see, he's kind of like, you know, walking around and skating around and essentially saying, I'm going to set the tone. And he did that on Marshawn on the, on the first shift, a couple of hits right off the bat, one on Marshawn, and that got it going. Uh, the other thing is, you know, this game against Boston, it was kind of, it was 
almost like the Winnipeg game in the sense that the Canucks played a good five-on-five game, but in the third period in that sense, it unraveled, right? They took some chances here. They stayed composed. They played physical, but they didn't back down. They didn't give up after 2 nothing. And that desperation, that urgency that maybe we didn't see three or four games ago, uh, you could see that from the players, and it was resonating. I think after the Philip Ronick goal, the way that they were you know, celebrating and, and congratulating him on the bench, you could tell that these guys were locked in. Maybe the fatigue on the road trip had kind of dragged them down. But, yeah, I think that's a credit to JT, no doubt about that. And also credit to the physical play that they brought. Zadorov setting the tone with that early hit on Pasternak. Jules mm-hmm. did the exact same thing. Uh, they didn't give the Bruins respect. They played with swagger. And you can see, even when they fell behind 2 nothing, guys, that this team, they were going to keep on going at the Boston Bruins. And, and it was a, a really strong team effort. Uh, I love that Miller went after Marshawn, too. That was awesome. Right off the bat, yeah. R- right off the bat. That was great. It's kind of like what it was like a it was like a scene in Oz, boys, you know, when there's a, a new <laughs> new entrance to, yeah. to to the prison yard or something. It felt like that. Hey, I'm I'm targeting you, right? It was it was kind of like that. So the Canucks practice yesterday, they've got the day off today, and then they host Pittsburgh on Tuesday. Imagine they'll practice on Wednesday and then they host the Kings on Thursday, Pittsburgh or Los Angeles, which team are you most looking forward to seeing? Anytime Sidney Crosby comes to town, especially after a four-point night against Philadelphia, that one is always circled on my calendar just because with all the players that are on the Vancouver Canucks with Pedersen, Miller, and of course Hughes, something special could go on. But then you got Crosby coming to town. Um, So I've got that one just from a star-level perspective, it's always special to see Sidney Crosby and call those games. But the LA Kings are the most intriguing team right now because prior to the beginning of the year, guys, you know, um, we were talking about how they might have the best center group in all of hockey, potentially, definitely in the Western Conference, right? But now with the configuration that the Canucks have, if you start looking at Miller, Ederson, and Lindholm down the middle, guess what? That's not bad either. So, I know there's been disappointment in L.A. They're not to the level maybe that they want to be, uh, but they're not that far back either. They're tied with Edmonton. Uh, this is a team that is a veteran group. They demand more of their self. Uh, they fired their coach. Uh, they still are up there in terms of you know being right up there with Vegas and uh, the Edmonton Oilers. I think from a matchup perspective, I want to see what the Kings are made of here and how they match up against Vancouver because that could be a potential first-round matchup where you're saying, all right, if they got you know their three centers in Kopitar, Dano, and Pierre-Luc Dubois, and we just talked about the new Canucks line, you could easily see those three liners, uh, centers line up for Vancouver in a playoff series against LA the same way that we saw them against Boston because if you want to go mano a mano, guess what? you got to load up with three centers. So I think from a matchup perspective, an X's and O's perspective, the LA Kings matchup is much more intriguing. You're listening to the best of Halford and Bruff.